0: Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Before we begin, I have some news for listeners in the Toronto area. Just like last summer, I'll be participating in a live event in your wonderful city. True Crime Podcasts, live in Toronto, will feature a panel discussion with myself, Christy from Canadian True Crime, Robin from The Trail When Cold, Nina from Already Gone, and Aaron from Generation Y. In addition to the panel, there'll also be a Q&A, case presentations, a meet and greet, and several other special guests that will be announced leading up to the event. It's really shaping up to be something great. It's all going to happen on the afternoon of August 18th at the historic Royal Cinema on College Street. We hope many of you can join us. If you're interested in the event, you can get tickets right now at nighttimepodcast.com Toronto. Tickets are selling fast, so don't wait. I hope to see you there. Now, let's get to the episode. are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. At some point, hopefully a long time from now, the day will come for all of us to close our eyes one final time. Be it from old age, an accident, or some other conclusion, when our time here ends, our lives, accomplishments, and decisions will continue on without us, just in a much different form. After our death, those close to us will reflect on their memories of our time spent together, and as these memories are shared and passed around to those who care enough to remember us, the stories they tell about us will collectively become weaved together into a sort of living tapestry that will serve to inform others of who we were. These tapestries are our legacies, and I suppose the scary part is that we have no control over the shape they take, or how long they stick around. When it's all said and done, all we can really hope for is that our life's work had been enough to provide us with the only two things a dead man has any need for, that those who depend on us are provided for, and that our legacies live on in the hearts and minds of those we left behind. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we'll explore the legacy left behind after the sudden and mysterious disappearance of a man who may very well have been Canada's most fascinating resident. A man who some consider a mad genius, others consider an obsessive daydreamer, and for reasons that you'll hear shortly, a man who some believe is alive and well, traveling on an interstellar voyage on board a UFO. Our topic will be the life and the cosmic end of Granger Taylor.
1: Dear Mother and Father, I have gone away to walk aboard an alien spaceship. As reoccurring dreams have assured me, I will be on a 42-month interstellar voyage to explore the vast universe. Then I will return. I am leaving behind all my possessions to you as I will no longer require the use of any. Please use the instructions in my will as a guide to help.
0: Love, Granger I'm going to keep this introduction short in favor of allowing Granger's amazing story to unfold via an interview that will make up the bulk of this episode. Shortly, we'll be joined by the investigative journalist, Tyler Hooper. Tyler's a good friend of Nighttime, and he's an even better writer. Those of you who've been following my spin-off podcast, Emma Philippoff is Missing, will likely recall Tyler's appearance there, discussing the incredible article he wrote about Emma for Vice.com. The genesis for this episode you'll hear tonight actually occurred during that past unrelated appearance. Back in early 2018, after Tyler and I finished recording our interview about Emma, he recommended I look into the story of Granger Taylor, a man who disappeared in 1980, leaving behind the life's work of an eccentric genius and a note to his parents indicating he'd left Earth to travel aboard a UFO. As you'll soon hear, the story of Granger's life is amazing. But in addition to that, Tyler is well positioned to share it with us. Tyler has spent years exploring Granger's life, visiting the locations related to the story, and meeting many of the friends and family that Granger left behind. Tyler's work on Granger's story is showcased in his Vice.com article titled The Man Who Went to Space and Disappeared. Now when we get to my interview with Tyler... We'll start by discussing how he became so drawn into the story and why he thinks it's so special. To start, Tyler, what is your, your role in this story? Like Most of the, what I've read has, has referenced your work and some of your research, so who are you to this story? How did, how did you get involved in this?
1: I'm definitely an outsider in this story in that I'm not family, I'm not friends with Granger. I, did, I didn't know anything about him until I found out about it. But I'd like to think of myself as uh, a journalist that found out about Granger's story and it hadn't really been told. Um, there have been a few blog posts written about it, but they're very fantastical and there was no proper interviews and no fact-checking. Uh, and, and so when I found out about the story, I made it my mission to make contact with with the family and friends of Granger to try and bring his life to fruition through through print, which was for Vice at the time a few years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned there was a f- like a little bit of stuff written about the story, just nothing as deep as what you did in Vice. How did you le- how did you learn about it? Like how what brought this story to you?
1: This is one of my favorite parts of these questions. Uh, it was literally a slow day at my former job, and I was online. It was raining outside. We had nothing to do. And I was just on the computer, and I was uh, I was freelancing at the time, so I was always looking for good, compelling stories that no one had covered. And I don't remember how it happened, but some so, uh, somewhere along the lines on Google, I came across this blog called Mysterious Universe, and they had this story about Granger Taylor, this guy from Duncan, um, you know, like an hour's drive away. Uh, about how he might have gone to space. And immediately, I was I, I was intrigued. I, I, I read the whole article, and my first thought was, like, this isn't real. This is fiction. Someone made this up. It's a really nice story. But I couldn't forget about it. The next few days, I obsessed and obsessed. And finally, I, I did some research, and it turns out Granger did exist, and he did go missing. Um, so from that point on, I just I reached out to family and friends and tried to tried to find out what actually happened to Granger.
0: And now, I, I guess that you trying to find out what happened to Granger was kind of like the work that began what eventually became your, your article for Vice. Why don't you tell me a bit about the piece you wrote for Vice and like the work that went into gaining all that information?
1: Yeah, yeah. so like I said, when I found this blog post, I was very intrigued and uh, I am someone when I find a story or a potential story that I'm interested in, I kind of just throw myself into it. So with Granger, I'm trying, it's been a few years, like it it was a few years ago that I wrote that piece, but uh, I think I did, I usually go to Facebook and I think I did some sleuthing and I found some some family and friends that I thought were connected to Granger and I reached out to them and and a couple of them got back to me. But then I found uh, Granger's sister uh, and she was kind of my focal point for that story, um, Grace Ann Young. They call her gay. I basically actually arranged to drive out to the same property that Granger grew up on and built all his machines on where the spaceship was. And I actually got to sit down in the living room and interview uh, Gay and her husband and some friends and go through family photo albums and then get a tour of the property. And that was when it hit me like that this is the story and this is this is a story that is unconventional and maybe isn't very newsworthy but it's it's got a big human interest piece and from there i just kind of dived into granger's life um it was mostly through interviews because there wasn't, there was some archival stuff at the archives here in Victoria, like um, his, uh, his will and stuff was here. And a few I think uh, a few other uh, legal documents as well, but mostly it was learning about Granger through family and friends. And the beautiful thing about that is that you get a different perspective from everyone who knew Granger in a different way. And to me, I just felt like I was getting the most person I'd never met. It was so fascinating and a genius, but also I think a little disturbed. That's really where the story connected with Granger was like trying to kind of figure out his motives behind what he did, and um, maybe try and shed light on on, on some important issues that, that um, you know maybe Granger was dealing with.
0: So. The story takes place in in a small place called Duncan. I, I've never been there, but but I know you have. Why don't you tell me a, a bit about where this story is set and, and you know, when this all happened?
1: Duncan is a small town on Vancouver Island, located kind of on the um, lower east, southeast side of the island. It's about an hour's drive east from Victoria. Granger went missing in November of 1980. I think it was like November 29th, right at the end of the month. Back then, Duncan would have been uh, would have been very working class. and still is today. Would have been a lot smaller in, in November of 1980 when Granger went missing. But it was uh, it was full of a lot of people who worked a lot, uh, a lot of farmers, uh, a lot of loggers, and people just trying to make a living. And uh, it, it's very nice. It's, it's very picturesque. Even the downtown strip today is is, is very beautiful. Um, but it's it's not somewhere you'd ever visit unless you knew someone there or you were passing through it. Um, it's definitely not like Victoria where it's a desirable destination. It's kind of one of those Passover towns that um, I think even people who live on the island kind of look over it sometimes. Interesting.
0: In your, your Vice article, you, you spent a lot of time talking with, with members of Granger's family and friends. And it seemed, although he was kind of described almost like a a bit like a loner it seemed like he did have close family why don't you tell me a bit about his upbringing and in his family like what you've learned about about this side of his story
1: i think his upbringing was very different in that he was in school until about grade eight he dropped out and then he went to work for someone who was very into mechanical trades and I think this is where Granger got in his kind of his real education. He really settled down and learned how to fix machines and recreate machines and, and really got his hands dirty, so to speak. And then after that, I mean, he basically came back to the family property. Uh, Granger was always a little different. He was very, uh, his personality is very uh, contrasted with his, his, his bulky kind of stocky build um, he was a bigger guy he he definitely had a presence with him but he was very quiet shy and I think that uh, didn't help in school early on I think he had a hard time making friends uh, with people and and fitting in and I, I can't really say too much about his education other than that when he went to visit this person and, and to learn these kind of mechanical trades that something obviously sparked in him that he's like I want to just do this And uh, yeah, so he basically, after grade eight, went back to the property and started, you know, pulling locomotives out of the frigging woods and, you know, rebuilding World War II aircraft and eventually creating a spaceship out of like two satellite dishes. So uh, obviously something happened in between school and coming back to the property that inspired him to want to use his hands and, and create stuff
0: yeah and it, you mentioned a few of the things he built there, like the the story of the locomotive is interesting. My understanding is he found somewhere in the woods an abandoned like a uh, train engine and he brought it back to his property and on his own, he, he rebuilt it. Is this right?
1: Yeah, well, from my understanding, it wasn't just the engine; it was the whole locomotive. This could be wrong, but from what I've heard is that they used trains a lot to pull, you know, logging and trees out of the woods. And so there's some railroad tracks not far from Granger's place that there's this old logging train that basically, um, you know, a two spot they call it, and it was just left because the the company couldn't afford to pull it out. It was like, ah, oh, we'll just leave it. You know, we've we've done this block. It's over with. You know, at that time, I think logging companies were making so much money; it didn't really matter what kind of gear they left behind. The Granger was walking with, I think, a few people, uh, some family, and he came across it, and uh, he was inspired. I mean, it didn't work; it was out of commission. It had been there for a little while, and he uh, he basically, from what I understand, him and a few friends and some family built this kind of truck. Like they took like. Um, you know, this, this kind of like diesel truck with a flatbed in the back and expanded it by welding a bigger back onto it. So he could literally drive down there and get this thing on it and bring it back to the property. Uh, and then we brought it back to the property. He restored the whole thing, got it working and he actually built and ran railroad tracks down the property so he could blow the whistle and drive it up and down. And that's what he did. And it's pretty Amazing when you think about it. Like anyone doing that now would be considered, um, you know, probably really booty really genius, but also really weird. But that's just what Granger wanted to do, and you know, everyone came over and wanted to see it. It was a big community event. It's still the locomotive. You can still see it if you go to the uh, Forest Museum, uh, Forestry Museum in Duncan. It's there, and it's it's huge. Like it's not like a little. Uh, mini-sized version of a train. It is a full-on me- metal locomotive that would have taken hours even just to drag out of the woods. So the, it's it's impressive on so many levels, like being able to have the, the dreamless tenacity to get people to help you pull that out of the woods, get it back to your property, get it working again, and then have it being functional and then donating it to the museum or having the museum take it is, is pretty amazing on its own right.
0: And the other story too, and you you mentioned this is the the fighter jet. What what is this? What is? I've never been able to figure out the story surrounding that. How did he end up owning or or what's his connection to to the fighter jet?
1: Granger was really into aviation. Uh, one of his friends and him, uh, Granger wasn't a pilot, but he would often go to these, um, These he would take off with his friend. Because back then you could you could own a Cessna and kind of take off and go to the U.S. And, you know, things weren't as stringent as they are now. So they'd go to all these aviation shows all over North America, especially in the U.S. And I think at some point Granger saw this, like, beat up Kitty Hawk. And it was basically just like, I think it wasn't even the whole thing. It was like just like the front of the fuselage or something like that. Anyways, he got it shipped or delivered one way or another to his property. And he basically recreated this thing to, to stop uh, to the point where my, my favorite anecdote about it is that um, people came over and Granger had a, a big chain wrapped around the plane tied to a tree. And the reason for that was because Granger didn't know how to fly, but he wanted to show everyone that it worked. So he would get it going, and he would actually get a few feet off the ground with the chain holding him <laughs> to the tree so he didn't actually take off. And then he would, you know, land it, and and everyone would be in awe. But he he recreated everything, like it, it the seats, like the paint job is amazing. There's pictures on the in the Vice article. It's one of those really cool fighters. It's got like the uh, almost like shark jaws at the front with the teeth. Like it, it's 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 really really amazing. Obviously, there's no weaponry on it from from what I can see. I mean, he, I think he was just restoring the basic model of it, but he rebuilt the engine, He rebuilt everything, and and did and I think he got some help with the paint job. But uh, yeah, it was it was. It's really, really cool. I don't know where it is today. I think it's actually in a museum somewhere in the U.S. I want to say like Nebraska or something like that, in a really obscure place. Um, I think it was sold to a private collector, and then it bounced around um, quite a bit um, after Granger uh, went missing. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's it, the pictures are worth it alone on, on the Vice article. And it, um, it's it's pretty impressive that he was able to rebuild uh, something basically from scratch, whereas the locomotive was like much more intact. The fighter was not. It was basically like an original fuselage and then Granger just ordered parts and built the rest of it from, from from his own vision, which is which is pretty incredible.
0: Wow. Now when, when I consider what you told me about Duncan, like this small town, you have this this guy in, in in Granger who's, you know, building the trains, he has a fighter jet and all this stuff in his property. How did people see this guy? Was he you know, a lunatic or did they look up to him?
1: <laughs> um he definitely wasn't a lunatic. Uh, Granger was very quiet and shy. I think that's what most family and friends would tell you. Uh, but if you were close with Granger, you were close. Like one of his best friends, Robert Keller, who I wrote about in the article, got to know Granger quite well. So he wasn't antisocial necessarily. I think he was a little uh, contrarian to like uh, the norms of the time. Like I don't think he was uh, really heavily involved in the community in a way that a lot of people would have been back then. But I think he had friends apparently attracted a lot of uh, younger kids to come over. Like he was an influence because he was always building stuff, had these really crazy projects going on. So a lot of younger kids, they would come over and hang out with them. And, and Granger, from my understanding, and this is a controversial idea, but he apparently, allegedly was a quite a big pot smoker. So a lot of kids that skipped school would come over and allegedly smoke joints with Granger and, you know, see him work on these machines and he'd get them to help with it. And, uh, so I think he, I don't know, I think he just kind of identified with people who were interested in the work that he was doing. I think he was a bit of a loner, especially given I don't think he ever had a real girlfriend or or had love interest. I think he was interested in women, but I think he had a hard time communicating with them, and, and he wasn't the, um, he wasn't a bad looking guy, but he also wasn't a, um, someone who would catch your eye necessarily. And I think given that he's working with machines all the time, probably had grease on him, um, you know, he he was just very uh, very eccentric in his own way. But I think personality-wise, he's perceived as being quiet, shy, maybe a bit of an eccentric genius who lived on this big property and maybe a bit of a uh, mystery to the local people. And I don't think I don't think anyone really knew who Granger was. I don't think he opened up about who he really was to a lot of people, maybe some family. I think it was very surface level for him. He he liked the attention and he liked hanging out with people and showing them what he was doing. But I don't think he really talked about. You know what was going on in his mind uh deeper than like you know what people were asking questions about when it came to his work
0: up to this point we heard about granger's life as a sort of eccentric guy who happened to be a mechanical genius but there was another side of granger we'll now get into as you'll hear Granger became completely fascinated with aliens, UFOs, and the related lore. In fact, Granger's next big project after the fighter jet was a UFO. Now, despite this section of the episode being a bit whimsical, it also serves as the venue for the darkness that appears to have found its way into Granger's life. A darkness that evidently leads to his disappearance. But before we get into that, Tyler and I will discuss Granger's interest in UFOs, and of course, we'll discuss the flying saucer he built on his family's property. One thing about about Granger that he appeared to have opened up to at least his close friends about, was his interest in UFOs and, and aliens and that's kind of I guess right. what he's most known for now. But do you know like when this started and what his fascination was with, you know, these kind of paranormal concepts?
1: Yeah, so so Grazer's Grazer to me, anyways, I perceive him as a bit an obsessive person where um he would get onto something or a topic or a project like the the kitty hawk, the locomotive or the first car he built. And he would just kind of latch onto it. And I think, I think there was a perfect storm of things happening in the 70s and the 60s when Granger would be in his formative years was that, um, you know, pop culturally, space and aliens is becoming a big phenomenon. I mean, you have all these alleged abductions and sightings like Roswell, New Mexico being a big one. You've got Close Encounters coming out. You've got Star Trek, Star Wars. Space is really after the world after World War II really coming to the forefront. You know, we sent someone to the moon, um, or well, I guess not us, but the Americans sent someone to the moon. So there's all these elements that I think are really feeding into making space and UFOs really uh, popular in pop culture. And I think Ranger kind of latched to that a little bit and made it his own. He loved uh, smoking joints and watching these these movies, these space movies, and then. I don't really know what prompted him to build a spaceship. Part of me thinks that he'd finished doing the Kitty Hawk and finished his projects and was maybe looking for something else. And given his fascination with pop culture, with space and UFOs at the time, he thought, he's like, I'm going to build a spaceship. And I think he actually thought he could build a spaceship that was going to fly, which is like kind of crazy when you think about it, because I mean, you know, what does that take? Right. But I think for him, it it was, it was more, he was latching on the obsession that was, culminating and him having to release that energy into some sort of project and that became kind of the uh the spaceship that he built
0: Mm -hmm. and the spaceship he built like i've seen photos of it it looks like your your typical like saucer shaped ufo like what's the story like what was it made out of where was it why did he what was inside it like what's the story with this ufo he built
1: Yeah, so the spaceship was really fascinating. I think it was um, two radio or um, satellite dishes. He basically went and got a bunch of local scrap metal um, and started welding and putting this thing together basically on his own. And uh, like you said in the pictures, it's very saucer-like. But apparently um, he put like a couch and a wood stove inside. His friends have told me they'd go in there and they'd hotbox it. They would just start smoking joints and hotbox the spaceship and uh it was basically I think for a while it was just a hangout pad. Uh but it was really friends would come over and they'd go in there and they'd talk about space and talk about time travel and talk about the universe and you know kind of just hang out i mean this is before the internet this is before all these distractions that we have now like you had to make your own entertainment so i think the spaceship in a lot of ways for for granger for granger i think it meant more than just a hangout pad but for the people who who came and visited him um i think it was just a really cool place to uh to come hang out in a custom-made spaceship and uh maybe get a little high and uh talk about life a little bit i mean that sounds pretty uh it sounds pretty appealing to me (laughs) it sounds it sounds It sounds pretty fun you know like i mean nowadays you'd never hear of that because it'd be like well we'll just do that and watch a movie on netflix right but back then you know they had to make their own entertainment so i think ranger kind of did it to um you know to, to impress his friends and his family and i also think his obsession with space um was deepening and i think um he was even—he was even telling some of his friends that he was going to build a, a certain door that only—I can't remember the details of it—but he was kind of saying that like he was going to build like a gravity door that would only open based on like who was standing in front of it. I think he was a little delusional in that. I think he thought the spaceship was a bit more than just a a cool metal hangout in, in the family property. But uh, but yeah, that's basically how it came about. He um, he just became obsessed with the idea of building something else and. And he was really into space and aliens. So it's like, why not build a really cool spaceship uh, and, and put it in the yard and make it your hangout pad? And that sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> yeah,
0: you had mentioned that to his friends, it was probably just a cool hangout. But to him, obviously, it, it meant a lot more than that. Yeah. I, I understand that his fascination and interest with aliens went so far as he is said to have actually believed or that he was. Some way in communication with aliens or an yeah. alien. So, leading up to his disappearance, what was going on in that UFO that he built seemed to get a bit, I guess, a bit darker or a bit more intense. Can, can you tell me a bit about that?
1: Yeah, well, this is kind of this is this is an interesting part of the Granger saga or story that I, I think it's I think it's safe to assume Granger was definitely smoking pot. I don't think that's a um, A a reach I think that's like that you could almost be like in court that would be a fact that would hold up but when it comes to doing psychedelic drugs I've seen letters written by family members that talk about Granger using acid and LSD uh, which makes sense given the visions and that whole idea that he could talk to aliens I mean he basically told uh, some of his closest friends Robert Keller being one of them that he was in communication with these extraterrestrial beings and i I think Granger believed it, um so I think, uh, given his eccentricity and his kind of um, demeanor i think I think there was one of two things happening. I think maybe he was getting a little too hard into psychedelics and maybe losing touch with what was actual reality and believing he could talk to aliens, or he was maybe going through a bit of a mental health crisis um, and didn't really know what it was or how to react and the drugs were probably, if he was using them, were maybe an escape, or he thought they were, but they only amplified those thoughts. Um, and if he wasn't doing drugs and still having some sort of mental health breakdown, I could see that. Like if you're schizophrenic, maybe believing you can communicate with aliens. But I think, I think at some point, one of those two factors—whether drugs or mental illness—kind of played a factor in his, you know, his, his fantasy of being able to communicate with um extraterrestrials and i think that's mostly what runs to him becoming so obsessed with space that he in.
0: i'm aaron habel of generation y and with me is jack luna of dark topic we'd like to introduce you to marooned a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention
1: tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer hikers swallowed by the woods explorers discovering nothing but destitution true crime calamity oddities of harrowing human experience It's a museum of misadventure, so pack a lunch.
0: Subscribe to Marooned wherever you find podcasts. We are waiting. Please hurry. Thank you. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, the Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Note saying he's going on an extraterrestrial space voyage to his parents and then disappearing.
0: It's at this point in the story where Granger's now nearing 40-year-long disappearance would occur. As you just heard Tyler mention, Granger did leave behind a note, but rather than providing details on where he may have gone, it simply made his disappearance all the more mysterious. This note, addressed to his parents, was scratched into a small piece of paper. On one side of the paper was the note itself, and on the other, a rudimentary map without any labels or obvious relevance to anything. After a short break. Tyler will walk us through the events surrounding the disappearance of Granger Taylor and, of course, describe the bizarre note he left behind. So we're at the point of the story now where Granger ultimately would be last seen or last heard from, I guess. So why don't you tell me about the events that immediately lead up to his disappearance, like what what actually was going on that day, and how did people find out about his disappearance?
1: So Granger, he had he had for months been telling uh, one friend in particular, Robert Keller, that he was going on an interstellar voyage. And that um, Robert, at the time, was very young and very impressionable, and I think um, he he wanted to go with Granger. He was like, no, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going on this journey alone. And I I don't know how Robert perceived that. I don't think he ever got back to the family. And I think Granger probably often talked about things that were a little odd and people probably didn't pay too much attention necessarily. But the day that he does go missing, there's a few key what I would call facts. The last time Granger was seen in public um, or seen uh, again was uh, leaving a local doner called called Bob's Grill around 6.30 p.m. on, I think it's November 29th, uh, 1980. Uh, shortly after, I would say probably the next day, uh, it was unlike Granger not to show up or be on the family property. Um, someone called police and a search ensued, but Taylor was at the time driving apparently a a bright pink truck. So he had this pickup truck and at some point he decided it'd be really great to paint it like Pepto-Bismol pink. So, it's not hard to spot the vehicle that he's riding at this point. So, that's one of the first kind of weird red flags, I think to the police is that they they don't know where his pink truck went, no one's seen it in a little while. So, yeah, the case goes cold, like, it goes cold almost right away from my understanding. I mean, I've read the police report and uh, they basically have that information that Grazier was last seen at this kind of grill and diner around 6.30 and then he vanished.
0: As Tyler just explained, Granger and his pink pickup truck seemed to simply vanish. But that said, Granger did leave that note behind, letting his loved ones know where he went. But much like everything else about him, this note was quite unique. Rather than providing any solid information, it simply deepened the mystery and likely forever associated Granger Taylor with the world of UFOs.
1: The letter's really short. It basically, it's a note. It's not even a letter. It's a note. It says, "Dear mother and father, I've gone away to walk aboard an alien spaceship as reoccurring dreams assured a 42-month interstellar voyage to explore the vast universe, then return. And leaving behind all my possessions to you as I will no longer require the use of any. Please do the instructions in my will as a guide to help. Love, Granger." And that's what he writes. That's what he writes night he leaves. And it's, it's either left on his parents' bedroom door or it's left on the counter. It's left somewhere in the house. Um, but it's basically, this is my personal opinion on it. It sounds to me like it's a suicide note. Um, I think it's the it's the nicest suicide note you can maybe write to someone to make them believe that you're going somewhere else and that you will be back and you won't return. But as far as we know, Granger's never returned. But the other side of me says maybe it's it's one of those things like, is it was it a willing suicide note like Granger knew he was going to kill himself? Or was he so delusional that he believed that he was going to go to space and, and he was leaving and coming back? And psychosis or whatever, what he was going through, um, led him to write this note. But I think either way, whether he intentionally meant it or not, this is Granger's suicide note. This is his goodbye to his family and his friends and... And maybe he thought he was coming back. Maybe he knew he wasn't. But either way, he was—he was he was gonna he was going to be gone for a while.
0: One other thing about the note is, I understand there was there was a map. Like I, I read an art, a article that mentioned like a map that was—yeah, was mysterious
1: drawn. universe, probably. <laughs> it
0: it could, it could have been yeah the same article you read. What's what's the story of the map, or is that just a complete mystery?
1: It's well, it was a mystery when I first heard there was a map on the back of the suicide note. I was like, holy. Uh, holy shite! Um, that this is a really this is even a deeper story because maybe he left the coordinates of where he's going and what he's doing. But also, uh, I'll preface this by saying Vancouver Island is like even now it's a very like um, outdoorsy place. There's a lot of places to go and kind of lose yourself. You don't get cell phone reception even now in a lot of places. So, from what I understand, um, Granger and his friends would go exploring, especially around Horn Lake and Granger would constantly sketch out these maps of, like, where they had been, and, like, because they like going into caves or checking out cool areas, so they're always trying to create a map so they could get back there at one point and do it again, right? So you're making your own map. So from what I understand um, from, from I, I believe it was one of Granger's close friends, they kind of said their theory about the map being on the back of a piece of paper was that Granger was probably, when he wrote the note, he was in his truck or he was in his, in his little area or his bedroom, and he just kind of grabbed a piece of paper with a map on it and flipped it over and wrote the note. I guess at the time, he didn't know he was going to create a red herring, but he kind of did. I think that's probably pretty accurate. So I, I kind of perceived the, the map as not being very significant in his disappearance. But, I mean, again, that's kind of conjecture because we don't know. Maybe Granger was pointing it out, that's, that's kind of my best guess, is that Granger was probably just using a piece of paper and flipping it over, and then it was having a map on the other side was just coincidental with um, a sketch that he had done not too long ago about a place he'd explored with friends, basically.
0: We may never know what the note or the map on the backside of it may mean. Six years after Granger was last seen, a discovery was made deep in the forest that casts doubt on any possibility that Granger-Taylor may ever return to explain it.
1: Um, Six years later, in 1986, I think it's in the spring, a uh, logger or someone who's working for a logging company walking through the woods finds Granger's truck uh, blown up on, uh, Mount Sicker or Mount Prevost. They're very close in Duncan, just north of his property. Um, but they find his truck at the time. They don't know it's his truck, but they find a blown out, um, pit or vehicle. And they report that to the police and the police show up. They have cadaver dogs, uh, search the area and they find, uh, well, they, they are able to match the VIN number of the exploded vehicle to Granger's uh, truck. And uh, his mom visits the scene and finds the pieces of his shirt. And they find some bones as well, but DNA testing had only come into place like like that same year, maybe in 1985. And it was only being used in major um, cities like London or New York. It was not being used in a little um, dispatch uh, town like Duncan. So they found a, an arm bone, and I'm forgetting the medical term for it, but it's the, the big bone that goes from your shoulder down to your elbow. And they found, they found that, but they were never able to DNA test it. And, um, apparently ever since the bones have gone missing. So there's never been a DNA test done on, uh, what was found up blast site in 1986. But to circle back, he's seen at a grill around 630 on November 29th, uh, 1980. And then he is, um, his truck is found blown up on Mount Prevost, Mount Sicker, uh, six years later. I don't I'm trying not to ramble too much, but Night he went missing, his father noticed that, um, or stepfather noticed that some dynamite was missing from the the shed. And it wasn't uncommon for Granger to have dynamite because they used to use it to blow up tree stumps um, and other stuff. So, like, when in a really rural area like Duncan, you know, back then there was a lot less options for, um, you know, to, to remove. Stuff in, in, in your field, in your farm or wherever. So Granger was quite really efficient with dynamite and understood it very well. But a lot of it was apparently missing from the family property the night he went missing. So that makes sense why the truck was blown up. That's I guess I'm trying to add that in because like, well, why did his truck blow up? It's like, it's assumed that he used dynamite to either kill himself or he believed that he could, um, at the top of this mountain, get blown up and get into space.
0: Where you've met his sister and members of his, you know, friends and family and whatnot, how do they view, you know, the legacy Granger has left behind, and and how do they view his his disappearance? Like, do they see it as the mystery that a lot of people like online may, or do they very much see this as a suicide? Like, what was your what's your take on on it having having met a lot of them?
1: Well. My general impression is that I think most of the family assumes he's dead, that he blew up on that mountain, um, and that he is, he's is he gone, he's perished, and, and his life is over. Um, I think there are some family members who are holding on to an idea that Granger will be back one day, uh, and that he will return from his so-called voyage, and he will show up at uh, the doorstep. So uh, Gay and her husband, Grace Ann Young, and her husband, Dave, um, they have the family house out uh, near Somonos Lake, and it's still in there. Possession. Um, I'm not going to say that's their motive for buying the house and keeping it, but it's also just a beautiful property. But it's, the people that I've talked to think Granger went and did what he had to do. And um, my personal opinion is that I think, delusionally or not willingly or delusionally, I guess, is the two. To, as I would describe his maybe mindset, meaning that I think willingly or delusionally, he probably killed himself that on a mountain. And I think he probably wasn't found for a few years because it was very isolated. And I mean, to this day, I drove up there. We're still logging roads. There's no real roads up there. Like for, for Granger to even get up there in his pickup truck, like only he could have found that area. Like it's so obscure and it's so off the beaten path, even to this day, like 30, 40 years later. So... I just get the sense that the family is content with him being gone. And I mean, maybe there is some hope still there from some family members. And then on my end, I, like, I, don't, I wasn't in Granger's mind. I wasn't a friend, I never knew him. Like, I don't know if he was putting a stamp on the end of his life and knew he was gonna be passing over or if he actually thought he could go to space. And, and you know what, this is, he's not actually in space.
0: So I guess it, to to wrap up Granger's story, one idea, I guess, would be that he somehow got into space and is aboard a UFO. Another is the belief that he went up on the mountain, either intentionally or unintentionally, blew himself up with dynamite, likely. Are there other theories as to what may have happened? Or was there ever any suspicions that you know something altogether different had occurred?
1: There are a lot of theories. Uh, that's a great question. Um, so so the most prevalent ones is that it was a... Uh, the note was a suicide note. He willingly really blew himself up. The other is that he was on psychedelic drugs, and he left the note thinking he was going to space, but he still blew himself up because of the law of physics and everything. Um, but some of the more interesting theories, I, I never really... They're not in my article necessarily, because when you write something that's... Um, um, journalistic, you have to have some sort of proof. Um, one of the things was that apparently he did know some people down in South America or Central America and he and uh, a couple of his friends, his pilot friend um, said they went down there a few times so one of the theories is that he disappeared to South America and staged or Central America and staged his, his death so that he could get away and start life anew because he was kind of a loner in Duncan and uh, I think he just wanted to, 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 to you know take a stab at life somewhere else uh, other theories, yeah, I've heard, I've, I mean, the blogs talk about him being a government agent and being recruited and then them covering up this explosion because um, he only way to make him disappear and now he's working for, you know, for some government agency and, and you know, helping him develop technology. I've heard those on blogs. Uh, you know, I've heard that he has gone to space and he will be back. Um, some people have done some crazy number crunching to figure out what a 42 month interstellar voyage turns into like Earth years. And apparently, I think. I don't know, this is totally, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he would have already been back because it's been like almost 30 years or more than 30 years. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I actually wanted to write Granger's story is that I wanted to kind of dismiss some of those conspiracy theories because, um, I mean, they're fun and they're, you know, but it's also this this was a real person. I mean, if he was a fictional character, it's fine to speculate how a fictional character ends up I mean, that's all fun and games. That's what we want from reading something. But, it, but for me, it's like the reason I wanted to write Granger's story was to show that this was a real person. and I mean, it was really special. It wasn't just Joe Blow, missing persons cases. Not to say that missing persons cases as a whole aren't important, but Granger was like really different and special and like obviously troubled. And um, I don't know, I feel like I wanted to help in some way and, and maybe dismiss some of those myths. And maybe, maybe I didn't do that. Maybe I made more myths. Um, then, you know, it kind of added fuel to the fire, so to speak. But, um, yeah, I I think those are the big ones. I don't really think there's much else. I mean, him going to South America or Central America, um, being a government agent, and then actually going to space are kind of the three big sub-theories. And, I mean, I haven't been able to prove them or disprove them. So, it's, yeah, I mean, you believe what you want to believe, I guess. (laughs)
0: Without doubt, Granger's story is fascinating on its surface. But it's quite obvious, at least to me, that he was suffering in some way that he must not have been able to share with those close to him. To me, it's heartbreaking to imagine someone as talented and gifted as Granger Taylor choosing to end their lives, and that makes me hope that somehow he did make it aboard a UFO, as unrealistic as that is. And with that said, we'll conclude this episode of Nighttime but I want to end with some thanks. A huge thanks to Tyler Hooper for sharing his knowledge of Granger's story with us. If you want more of Tyler or Granger's story, check out the show notes. I've added links to Tyler's Vice.com article, as well as a link to a CBC documentary about Granger, a documentary that Tyler contributed to. In addition to Tyler, a huge shout-out and thanks goes to the Canadian band Paragon Cause, for providing the musical and ambient themes for this episode. You can check them out by following the link in the show notes. But of course, the biggest thanks of all goes out to all of you listening. Without you, nighttime simply wouldn't exist. I'm very grateful to have you tuning in. For any of you who want more nighttime, please check out the Patreon group. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support the creation of the show and access the supporter-exclusive feed, which provides ad-free, early releases of episodes, in addition to prior episodes no longer available on this main feed. You can join by visiting patreon.com nighttimepodcast. Now I'd like to thank the current patrons of the show and welcome the newest members to the group, Lizard Martin, Lauren, Ruthopedia, and Kel. I appreciate your generous support of Nighttime. For anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by telling your friends about me and leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whichever equivalent you use. If any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities both on and off the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. If you have any story ideas or feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you at nighttimepodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.
1: Anyone who builds a locomotive from scratch and then, like, a World War II plane and then a spaceship is okay in my books, man. Like, that's a, that's a pretty uh, pretty hefty undertaking that, I mean, I can hardly replace a light bulb some days, so. Hi. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now, she's in New York with the NYPD.
0: This is very different,
1: better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss (laughs) Tazioni? Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global, stream on Stack tv